Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, the founder of Church Doctor Ministries, a church consultant, a writer of books, and a person who most of all considers it a great privilege to share with you all about Christianity. In this series, is Christianity an institution, a program, or a movement? You already know the answer. And in this episode, number six, we're going to talk about what is movement multiplication. I'm going to try to explain the incredible power of multiplication. And the last episode, we looked at the elements of a movement, and one of those was geometric progression, which blows my mind to think about that. It's actually like one to the 10th power sort of thinking. If you're a math major, you probably get it. But I've seen it in action in a revival where people are becoming Christians so fast, nobody beyond human explanation can talk about how all these people are coming to the church. It's just amazing. So in this lesson, I want to talk about what is movement multiplication on a deeper level. It is the power of multiplication. And this is really important because the whole idea of exponential growth is the concept of making disciples. That means that the first people who come into a little church when it starts need to become disciples, not church members. It doesn't even matter whether you call them church members, really, but that they are discipled. Now, if they're non-Christians, that may take three years. If they're Christians from another church and they haven't been discipled, it may take two and a half years to help them learn their spiritual gifts to help them grow in kingdom culture, to help them understand movement multiplication, to turn them loose as people that are not only a product of multiplication, but people who are multipliers. Multipliers multiply multipliers. You probably know this if you've been around some churches, but this is almost impossible to find in a church. And if a church doesn't multiply, then it may be growing because the community is growing, but it may not be growing at the rate of the community and the unchurched people in the community. And of course, this is really the kernel, the center of the issue of why Christianity is declining in places like North America, has declined significantly in Europe. It's really odd because in Germany, in Europe, the Reformation unearthed the biblical truth of the priesthood of all believers, and yet it remained a paper doctrine. It was never put into action. Most churches, most pastors do not practice the priesthood of all believers. My goodness, if you had a pastor that really actually trained someone else to go to the hospital and they were discipled to do so, and they went to the hospital and took a new disciple of theirs along to train them. And you actually train them in the four steps of disciple making. I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. Then you do, and I watch. And then you go and do the same thing with someone else. Why, if somebody did that in hospital calling, when that person went with their new disciple to the hospital and called on one of the members of your church that's in the hospital, 
probably the first thing that person would say is, where's the pastor? And the first thing they would think, but maybe not say, is, what do we pay the pastor for anyway? What you pay the pastor for, according to Jesus, according to the Bible, according to the New Testament, is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. And that includes discipling as Jesus modeled and proved works, and most churches don't do it. And so most churches remain static, rely on biological growth, people having babies growing up in the church, but that's curved off, way off. And so the birth rate is way down. People in the baby boomer generation are getting to the end of their lives, more funerals. So churches are declining because there are fewer new believers. And see, here's the deal. The church was developed to explode, not by division, but by multiplication. And this is very easy to understand. This is the way God has operated right from the beginning. So God decided to fill the earth. He told Adam and Eve, fill the earth. How are they supposed to do that? Be fruitful and multiply. That's God's way of operation, his modus operandi. That's the way he operates. Fruitful and multiply, fruitful and multiply. That's how God told Adam and Eve to fill the earth. Worked pretty well, been working right along. Not so much in what Jesus said, how to fill heaven. Basically, Jesus commissioned his followers in exactly the same way. Go make disciples. That's being fruitful and multiplying. It's the same deal. God is consistent all the way through. The way to fill earth, the way to fill heaven is exactly the same. Be fruitful and multiply. But you have to be a healthy Christian. You have to grow in movement mentality. You have to live in kingdom culture to be fruitful and multiply and go and make disciples and fill heaven. I'm going to try to explain to you what it's like in God's plan for exponential growth. And I'm going to tell you about a couple congregations, Congregation A, Congregation B. And if you got something to write with, this might be a little bit easier. If you would just on a, make a little chart, on the left-hand side, put year one, two, three, going from the top to the bottom, down to year nine, and then put year 10, and then instead of putting any more individual years, just put year 20. So you'll have on the vertical column on the left, year one, and then below that, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then 10, and then 20. And then as you move across in these columns, the first vertical column next to that is number of members, and then number of new members is the second column. So one is number of members and number of new members. And then you put cumulative total in the fourth column. And all of that is column A, the number of members, new members, and cumulative total. And then next to that, to the right, put column B. And at the top, put the titles number of disciples, number of disciples, cumulative total. So we'll fill in the numbers. And if you lose track, you'll get the idea. But in column A, that's 10 church members, the staff evangelism team, bring to the church 
not disciple, but bring to the church two new Christians each, but they don't disciple to multiply themselves. Okay, that's church A. It's your typical church. We have an evangelism team, and out of the whole membership of the church, 10 of them are on this team, and that's the only people that reach out, and they bring two new Christians to church, but they do not disciple them. In year one, if you look at your column, we have a church, and 10 of these people out of the whole bunch are going to bring two people each. So the 10 in the first column become 20. And so in terms of total new people, in the cumulative total, that's 10 plus 20 equals 30. Columns 2, 3, and 4. 10, 20, 30. And in the second year, the same 10 bring 20 more, and that's 30 plus 20 is 50. And if that pattern continues, if you go down to the year 10, I'll do the math for you, it's 210. If you go to year 20, it's 410. By having an evangelism committee that reaches two people each per year, every year, that actually say yes, come to the church, and end up every year with 20 new members. Nobody dies. We just keep adding them. And in 20 years, you got 410 people. Okay, let's go to column B. The church where 10 members spend serious time and disciple only one person. Let's say you can only do one. Or maybe it takes two years, so each of the 10 people over two years do 10 or whatever. So let's start with year one. 10 disciples disciple 10 disciples, which is 20, cumulative total. The next year, you have not 10 disciplers, but because they disciple 10 more, you have 20. So now in year two, column B, you have 20 disciplers disciple 20 disciples. That's 40. In year number three, you have 40 disciplers, and they disciple 40 disciples, and the cumulative total is 80. When you get down to year 10, the cumulative total is not 210, but 10,240. Just if 10 disciple one person each year after year, but they are disciples who do the same. Year 20, 10,485,760. Now, I know people die, move away, fall away from the faith and all sort of things, but I think you get the point. This is the compound interest of what Jesus said, seek and save the lost. Why? Because he did it as a movement, and he told people to make disciples who disciple others. And whatever the real number is in the real world with all of its problems and risks and dangers, <laughs> you're still going to be way off the charts. And if you have 100 churches in your state that would do this for 10 years, you would literally change your region, your state, and there would be a revival. And they would be writing about it in all the newspapers. It would be on the news. 
on the major news outlets. It really would. And it's possible. It's not only possible, it's predictable. It's what Jesus told us to do. He wouldn't tell you to do something that was impossible. Moving along. So, what we're talking about here is God has designed the Christian movement to go viral. Viral, you know, comes from the word virus. People catch the flu, and as they go out among people, they spontaneously spread it to the people that they get up close and personal with, their social networks. When Christians spread the faith to those around them, it becomes a Jesus epidemic. And if you ever visit a Jesus epidemic, a revival, whether it's somewhere nearby or somewhere in Africa or Asia, you will never be the same. It'll blow your mind. And you'll be ruined forever because you will know what can happen. What amazes me is in Africa, they have these revivals going on, people exponentially coming into the church. And these people have so little to work with, but so much fruit. We have so much to work with and so little fruit. That's not right, people. That's not right. The Christian movement is designed by God to go viral. Man, the stoning of Stephen story is just an amazing story. Acts 7, 59 to 60, it set off a persecution of Christians in and around Jerusalem. In Acts 8, verse 1, it says, people who were believers were forced to leave their home base, and the followers of Jesus were all scattered. And as they were scattered, they became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they shared the message about Jesus. Acts 8, verse 4. So, yeah, that wasn't so good for Stephen to be stoned to death. That was really bad. But out of that terrible tragedy and the awful persecution that came upon the Christians, the new believers, they went everywhere sharing their faith. It's almost like God designed them to multiply. And through this sad tragedy and the awful persecution, made it possible, made it predictable. So, if you want to start a flu epidemic, don't start by inviting people to the hospital to catch it from sick people. Send the sick people out to mingle with others. But look at what we do. You want a Jesus epidemic? Invite people to the hospital, the church, to try to catch it in that environment from sick people. But that's not exponential. What you want to do is send the people that have it to go out and mingle with others. What we do is we quarantine Christians in a church building and we literally inoculate them from spreading the holy infection of Christianity. We'll never get to an epidemic that way, a Jesus epidemic. And this goes right back to movement. Christianity is a movement, and it is as much caught as taught, just like you catch the flu. Not like you catch a ball, but like you catch the flu. The other thing about the Christian movement is that the Christian movement is not a spider but it's like a starfish. This is another meaning of why Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven and left us with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was on earth, he emptied himself as divine nature. He could not be everywhere at once, but through the Holy Spirit that was given to us after Jesus left, 
which he said he had to go so the Holy Spirit would come. With the Holy Spirit in every Christian, Jesus can be everywhere in every believer always. And so the movement continues through you or not. This is the amazing thing about a starfish. If you cut off a part of a starfish, that part that you cut off grows back. Not only that, but the part you cut off becomes another starfish. Jesus tells the disciples he's leaving this world. So let me say it again. He says, this truth is better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend, the Holy Spirit, the helper won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. You see, if you squash a spider, you cut off any, the head of a spider, it dies. But a starfish, you cut off one of those limbs of a starfish, it multiplies, becomes another starfish. So that's how Christianity is supposed to work. In recent history, this is awful to say, but one of the best, most common examples of the way the kingdom is supposed to work is ISIS. It's horrible to say that. But the idea is in structure, not in anything else. ISIS cells can spring up anywhere and multiply anywhere. They're like the starfish. And so a good part of the world is trying to stamp out this evil, and it pops up right in your backyard or where you never expect it, when you never expect it, because it goes viral. And that's a movement. And that's what Christianity is supposed to do. Not for bad, not for blowing up people, not for hurting people, but the greatest help you can give anybody and the eternal life that outlasts this life. Nothing like it anywhere in the world, but in the heart of Christians. No parallel. It's just ironic that in the church, we don't disciple, but carpenters do, plumbers do, airplane pilots do. They all have apprentices, doctors do. And Jesus was the one who invented that, at a big scale anyway. And it's really hard to find in the church. I've talked with pastors about discipling a few. And I've, I've had pastors of mega churches that I've consulted. And I've given them this really simple way of doing it. And they can't get their arms around it because they don't have the culture of the kingdom, the values, the beliefs, the attitudes the priorities, the worldviews. Those elements of kingdom culture have to come first. The exponential discipleship happens after that. And it takes time. It's an organic, slow-growth deal, this kingdom culture. It takes about three years in most churches. And then it's not everybody, but there's a critical mass that changes the atmosphere. And then churches are ready. And then people start discipling. And then there's exponential growth. You can see it in the Bible. You can see it in history. You can see it around the world. It makes sense. It's replicated in every flu epidemic. With us, it's supposed to be a Jesus epidemic. And this is the movement of multiplication. It is that centrifugal force of the New Testament era. In Matthew 5, 14 to 15, Jesus said, You are to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill, I'll make you 
light bearers. You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there and on a hilltop, shine. Matthew 5, 14 and 15. It is so easy to see that Jesus wants us as people to follow the multiplication movement to fill heaven. There are people all around us, all of us, everywhere we go that do not know Jesus and are not headed for eternal life with the Lord. And they struggle. They struggle with addictions. They struggle with divorce. They struggle with fear, depression, anger. It goes on and on. You see it all around you. When Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17, he said, Father, make them holy. That's different. My kingdom is not like this world. Different. Father, make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, Father, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so that they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. John 17, 19. This concludes our series, Is Christianity an Institution, a Program, or a Movement? If you want to learn more beyond what we've covered and go deeper in that which we have covered, I would urge you to consider the book that I wrote called Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord, that this teaching will be valuable in spite of my weaknesses and my listeners' weaknesses, that the Holy Spirit will take over and really make changes for the sake of your kingdom, to the glory of your name, that your kingdom will grow, that your kingdom will come to so many people who desperately are living without you and desperately need you. Thank you, Lord, for this biblical teaching. Use it in people, in churches, for the sake of making disciples. The reason you came, the reason you died, the reason you discipled others, the reason you rose again, the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, bring revival, beginning with me. Amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.